How are you guys doing today? Yeah, all right. Well, let's, hey, let's dig in today. I have a lot to share with you, a lot of scripture to share with you. I, I want you to know that um, the Lord has really put some things in my heart, some subjects for us to look at. You know, we spent some time doing some verse-by-verse teaching, which I think is so important because it forces you to deal with scriptures you normally wouldn't deal with. But then there's also certain things God wants us to talk about. And you saw in the intro video that as believers, there are some words today that we just don't address enough. One of the great things that have happened in the church today is the understanding of God's grace in relationship to salvation. Most people who know how to interpret the Bible now realize that we're not earning salvation. Uh, We're done trying to prove we're saved. We're trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why we, at this church, we offer weekly communion. That's why the worship service was carefully constructed to exalt Christ. And so Christ and his work would be what we worship. And so we're not a works-based people. And I thank God for that realization. But the negative ramifications is this. Some of the things that we need to deal with, sometimes we have an aversion to. So we're no longer trying to earn our salvation. Thank God that that tired old story is over. But in response to our salvation, in our moral behavior, in our lifestyle choices, in our passion for the things of God, it needs a lot of attention. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some words and more importantly, scriptures that talk about these words to help get our attitudes, to help get our spirits in the place Jesus wants them to be. And I just know for me, this is really good for me. And getting these sermons ready, the Holy Spirit's been working on me, convicting me, challenging me on some things. And I know that he wants to lovingly challenge you too. If God loves you and he does, part of God's love means you're challenged. A good father disciplines. A good father doesn't let us stay on a pathway of destruction. A good father takes us back to the place where God wants us to be. And I want to talk today about sacrifice, living a sacrificial life. And I want us to start today with probably my favorite parable in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 13. Parables are really important. Jesus told parables and stories that had dual meanings and stories help us. And that's why when I preach, you know, I typically tell a lot of stories and I try to include some humor. So if you're visiting, i just let you know, I, I'm not gonna be funny today unless it's an accident. And uh, I'll try again another week. I, I'm just kind of on a serious mindset here. Uh, but I don't, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with using humor. And certainly there's nothing wrong with using story because Jesus used story. Because story helps us understand truth better than just line item principles. So my favorite story in the Bible, just about, I mean, you can't beat this one. I've preached on this a lot. And I've preached on this in the context that the merchant is Jesus and we are this pearl of great price. But today in this dual meaning parable, I want us now to put our place in the position of the merchant and the priceless pearl is the kingdom of God and the things of God. So here, here's the story. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant 
in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. It's a beautiful story. It's something you can meditate on, think about, and live out. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. I want us to imagine this old, experienced, kind of crusty merchant who has taken his boat all through all the seas he knew to every port city. And as much as things have changed in society and we have amazon.com and we can search for the internet, some things are timeless. And one of the things that are timeless is this, this idea of a marketplace. Still to this day, in most of the world, you can go to a marketplace that is very much like it was 2,000 years ago. In fact, today in Nashville, the Nashville Farmer's Market, it would have characteristics that are not much different than, than in the ancient world when Jesus was thinking about this story. So shopping is an experience. Can all the women say amen, huh? So this is not going to Sam's Club and buying 80 rolls of toilet paper so you don't have to worry about it for the next six weeks. I don't know if that math is accurate as far as the ratio of time to toilet paper, but this is, this is a careful search of something valuable. The merchant went from city to city, from market to market, and he was searching for something very particular. And here's the incredible part of the story. He found a pearl that was unlike any pearl he had ever seen. This is not an inexperienced merchant we're imagining. This is someone who was an expert. This was someone who knew what quality was. This was someone who knew what he was looking for. And, and he found this pearl. And this pearl was so valuable that the Scripture says he gave up everything for it. So let's just imagine again, we're, we're reading into the story, but I think it's okay that he sold his home, he sold his business, he, he sold the ship, he, he sold his tools. I mean, he, he had to get rid of every single thing because there was one pearl that was so valuable that, that it was worth giving everything. Now, that's what Jesus did for us. But I know this, is that in response to what Jesus did for us, this is the type of passion and love and value Jesus wants us to have towards the things of God. Jesus wants us to treasure and value and search for that which is best and that which is set apart. And I'm here to remind you this morning that there are some things that are set apart there's a satisfaction and fulfillment and alignment with the things of God that are unlike anything else in your life. And sometimes you just need to hear that again. More than earthly success, more than the accumulation of wealth, more than even the satisfaction of community, which is something we value highly here and we encourage community and friendship and relationship because, yeah, that's what life on this earth is about. But even beyond something as treasured as community. There is something more valuable than anything we can conceive and imagine, and I hope you've seen it. It's not something intangible. It's someone. It's Jesus. And he's our treasure, guys. He's our treasure. And when we realize all that he's done for us, that's why we continue to sing about his death, resurrection, and coming, because it is 
without compare. Can you imagine the merchant, the ridicule he may have faced? People said, now what are you doing? Are you retiring from pearl searching? Are you retiring uh, from work? Are, Are you giving up your business? Are you giving up your home? Have you gone crazy? Are you insane? Those would be natural reactions. And it didn't matter. No one else understood the value of the pearl except the merchant. Can I remind you of something? There's people in your life who think you are irrational because of your love for Jesus. They don't understand your lifestyle choices. They don't understand why you're a giver. They don't understand why you uh, dispose of your time to serve others. They can't understand it. It's because they haven't seen the treasure of the hidden pearl, the pearl of value. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like the things of the Lord. And here's a couple of things I want to say about, there's three things I want to say about sacrifice today is this, is we, I sacrifice for what I value. I sacrifice for what I find is valuable and what means something to me. A pastor friend of mine is a big hunter. He's down in Murray County, came from Lawrenceburg. And he's a big hunter guy. He, um, when hunting season starts, like he and his son start the first day. He's about my age, but he has a teenage son now and they start hunting the very first day. And I'm not a hunter. I think I talked about hunting in recent services. So I feel a collision course coming with hunting because I want to relate to the men in this church, even though there could be some women hunters. We got any women hunters in here? I didn't say, okay, no, all right. Let me stay focused here. (laughs) This stuff flies through my head. Okay. um, (laughs) He he, he goes and hunting is so important to him. And so at 4 a.m. every morning he gets up and gets up as early as he can and situates his life so that during a particular season he can go hunting. And the Holy Spirit came to him and spoke to him said, you're willing to get up and rearrange your life and sacrifice for your hobby, but you won't even get up that early on Sunday morning to prepare your heart to preach the gospel. This story is so helpful and it's safe because we're talking about someone who's not here this morning, who's even miles away, but apply it to your life and I'll apply it to my life too. If we're really honest we will sacrifice for things we love. I mean, we make a sacrifice for things that are important to us. We prioritize for what means something to us. And brothers and sisters, the reason I want to look at these scriptures with you today is because I want to remind you, all oh, those of you who have experienced God's grace and you're professional Christians and you're church attenders and you can lead small groups and you may, you may even be able to preach a sermon like this. If I were to give you a list right now to say, what are your priorities? I know what you would write down. God, family, you know, church. What, you, you would get the list right on paper. The problem is we're not getting the list right with our behavior. That's the problem because there's drift and our hearts drift. And somehow we have been conditioned to to think that just because we understand the grace and mercy of God, that that means we're not to live a life of sacrifice anymore. 
Can I tell you this? It's true. You're not earning your salvation. I'm not calling you to sacrificial life because I hope you get into heaven. Jesus settled that. I'm not calling you to sacrificial life because we have some kind of insecurity because we're competing with other religions. You've heard that before. You know, the Jehovah's Witness, they knock doors on Saturday mornings and and the Mormons are disciplined and the Muslims pray more than us and we get this attitude of, well, hey, you know, we need to prove, prove our God is real. Let's get more discipline. I'm not calling you to sacrificial life out of guilt and comparative to another religion. We're not earning anything. We are people who have discovered the hidden treasure. We have discovered something that has more value than anything we can imagine. I thank God for a healthy marriage. Thank God for my wife. And I joke with her in front of you, but I honor her because she is a woman of God. I thank God for a great marriage. I thank God for her kids. I thank God that for this church. So many of my dreams are coming true through God. Thank God for what he's given. But if I begin to love her and love this church and love my life and love my comfort more than I love that valuable pearl, then it is subtle deception. It's subtle deception. We begin to love religion, love Christianity, even love aspects of Christianity more than we love Christ of the Christianity. And it comes down to, our love comes down to our obedience. How do, you, how do you measure love? Well, I don't know how do you measure love. Only God knows our hearts. But John gave one indicator through something Jesus said. Look at John 14, says this. This is Jesus speaking, not John. But he recorded this. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So I think it could be suggested that your level of love for God is reflective of your level of obedience, doing the things that he says. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, as he matured, as he developed as a Christian, he said this, to me, living is Christ, dying is gain. Here was someone who said, I'll live a sacrificial life. I'm not living for myself anymore, my preferences, my desires, my dreams. I'm living for Christ. And if I die and when I die, guess what I get? More of Christ. When you live for Christ, then eternal life starts now. Because when life is Christ now, then life never ends because it'll be Christ now and forever and ever and ever. That's the beauty of the gospel message. So it is that with Christ is that fulfillment. He is the treasure. He is the pearl. He is the one that's incomparable. He's the one that we search our whole life for. And some of us, our search has taken us to places we should not be. And we've invested in things we should not have invested in. And we're searching for things that won't bring satisfaction. And can I just tell you, services like today, the table of the Lord the preaching of God's word, the communion of the saints, take us back to our treasure as him. He's our treasure. He's the one. See, whatever we value is what we'll sacrifice for. Let me give you a a scenario. 
And it's not too untrue because it's probably happened to someone here. Let's say that you purchased tickets to a musical or play at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. And it costs $200 per ticket to sit on the floor. And it's a Saturday night, 7.30 concert or 7.30 play. Are you going to leave Gallatin or Hendersonville at 7.15? No way. No way. You're going to leave in ample time to get downtown, to park, to get to the Performing Arts Center, to get seated. Because if you come late to one of those and you're stuck in the middle of the aisle, you're messed up. And one of the reasons you're going to do that is because those tickets are valuable. I would suppose, probably for all of us, $200 ticket, I mean, that, that's very valuable. And so we'll sacrifice because it's valuable to us. And that's why punctuality is an expression of what's valuable to us. Now, I, I know different ones of us are more punctual than others, and, and there's lots of different factors. I never had to get kids ready like Beth did, so I stand not in judgment, my dear. But I do know this, is that everybody is punctual to something. If it's important enough to you, you're gonna get there on time. Think about the last time you flew. You spent $500 on a flight, and they're leaving at a certain time with or without you. They don't hold up the flight. And so if it's valuable enough, uh, you will wake up early enough or you will um, cut short the grooming process or you will do what's necessary to get there on time if it's important enough to you. And guys, we're more guilty than the girls because if we don't like an event, I mean, it's like a game. How quick can I get ready? I mean, five minutes before we leave, we're just gonna be like a whirlwind to, to try to, maybe silently protest the event and leave late. So that's one scenario. You've got a $200 ticket to the TPAC, very valuable, you're gonna be punctual. Or let's say that you're going to a seventh grade girls volleyball game on Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. And there's hundreds of empty seats. You can show up whenever you want to. You can show up a minute before the game, minute after game. You can show up at halftime. You can show up as the game's ending, sit wherever you want to. You can do that. For most people, it's not very valuable. It's free, maybe two or three dollars. It's easy to get there. No problem. Most of us aren't thinking about the seventh grade girls volleyball game at four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. The Nashville Sports Talk hosts are not analyzing how KDDC is gonna do against Ellis in the junior high volleyball game. Not very important to the world. There's no need for crowd control. There's no need for police officers. There's no need for a parking lot crew. There's not even a need for someone to take up tickets. It just is happening. Not a valuable event. Unless your daughter's on the team. If your daughter's on the team, more than likely you're gonna do whatever it takes to be at that game. You'll take vacation time. You'll rearrange your schedule at work. 
You'll make sure that the car is full of gas because you don't want to leave. You don't want to let one minute pass by that you don't see that little girl have a chance to play volleyball. You're going to get there not because you're going to run out of seats. It's because you want a particular seat with a particular angle when you take the picture so you can put it on Instagram later. All of a sudden, that little volleyball game that means nothing to anybody else, you will sacrifice anything to get there. Why? Because you're in relationship with the little girl who's playing. Here's the second thing. Listen, sacrificial living is about relationship. You only sacrifice for those things which are valuable to you, but you truly only sacrifice those things that you're connected to relationally. That's why if you try to serve the Lord out of obligation, if you try to serve the, God, uh, serve the Lord and volunteer at the church because the pastor's twisted your arm or because you want to make some kind of list, uh, you try to serve the Lord just out of obligation and you feel so guilty uh, because you heard a good message or an effective presentation. We need to share the gospel. And so you kind of, in a guilty way, go try to reach out to your neighbors because that's what we're supposed to do. We don't want like the blood on our hands like Ezekiel talked about. So let's go make friends with our neighbors. I guess we have to. You'll get real tired, real quick, operating in the flesh and operating out of guilt and operating out of obligation. But when you operate out of relationship, the sacrifice is easy. If you're, if you're sacrificing out of guilt, you won't sacrifice very long. But if you're sacrificing because you're connected relationally with somebody and you know where we're going, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. If you're connected with him relationally, there's a flow. There's a flow from him. John 15, five says this, you abide in me, I abide in you. You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we flow out of communion and friendship with Jesus. We call it devotions. It's become this kind of, I don't know, this, this word that's lost its meaning. Have you done your devotions today? Are you doing your devotions? But think about what it is. Devotions. I'm devoting my heart to God. I'm taking the scripture. I'm taking the Jesus call. I'm taking my utmost force highest. I'm, I'm going through my prayer list because I want my heart to be devoted to God. I'm in relationship with him. If you don't spend time with someone, you're not going to be devoted to them. That's why we encourage spouses today. We encourage friends to be in community with one another. We encourage fathers to carve out time for their kids because time and conversation produces devotion. So it is with our creator. Time with the Lord, intimacy with the Lord. It produces the devotion that causes us to serve. Now, Jesus had some friends that were sisters, Mary and Martha. We know that Jesus called us to serve, showed us to serve, demonstrated serving. I've spoken often, even this year, about the servant leadership culture that starts with Jesus. But we see a different twist on this. In Mary and Martha's life, if we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, while they were traveling... He entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. And look, I underlined this on the screen. Man, Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. So much in that scripture. We could preach two or three sermons out of that scripture. But, but I want you to see this as there was a right choice. Jesus said it was Mary's choice and it was about relationship. It doesn't mean Jesus discounts service because he was the example of service. He's the one who washed his disciples' feet. But he said this, he's saying through the story that service without relationship is not sustainable and there's something better. And if you are, if you are this dutiful Christian person that is just doing religious work blindly, trying to either earn your salvation, trying to prove something to someone else, some of you are trying to prove your worth to a spiritual leader who's not even in your life anymore. I, I want you to hear that. I wasn't planning on saying that this morning, but you need to know that some of you are trying to approve somebody. It may be your father, it may be a spiritual father. You're trying to get their approval and they're not even thinking about you anymore. And you'll never be able to satisfy their standard. But if you have a relationship with the Lord, out of relationship with the Lord is going to flow. There's gonna be a flow in your life a flow of ministry because sacrifice is out of relationship. So this morning, when we talk about sacrifice, there's this almost doom. Are the ushers going to pass out ministry sheets for you to sign up for this church? No, that's not gonna happen this morning because I want you to think about sacrificial living beyond service at the church, even though that obviously is important to me. I'm talking about sacrificial living in every way you live. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Living sacrificially for him. Living sacrificially for him in a mature way of understanding the greatness of his salvation and the greatness of his plan, but saying, I'm going to Live sacrificially because there's nothing as valuable to me as Jesus. There's nothing as meaningful to me as Jesus. Nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing compares to Jesus. Travel doesn't compare to Jesus. The NFL doesn't compare to Jesus. I I mean, vacations don't compare to Jesus. That next position, that next race, they don't compare to Jesus. Are you gonna get those? Probably so, probably so. I'm not speaking against those. I've been the beneficiary of many of those things I've listed. But I'm saying they don't compare to Jesus. They don't compare to him. Even the greatest relationship with your spouse will never compare to a relationship with Jesus. The most meaningful relationship with your children. The best mentor you ever have. The the person who is your professional mentor and your professional boss will never replace Jesus. Listen, I'm, I'm hammering this point in because I wanna break the glass of deception. The glass of deception that says Jesus is just this category over there. This thing we pick up and we let go. We include and we exclude. No, he's the center. He's the everything. He's in the middle of everything we have. And because of that, any kind of sacrifice we have to make for him is okay. In recent years, I had a lady contact me through email. And she was a young lady and her husband wasn't able to go to church with her. And so she she, she communicated, going to church is hard. It's hard because my husband's not with me. Sometimes I have to sit by myself. Sometimes I have the same people uh, come up to me and say, are you new to the church? 
and I've been coming here for several months. And Stacy's laughing, and that's been happening to her for 12 years, right, Stacy? But it was a difficult thing for her. And I started thinking about ways I could construct a response. Hang in there, go to a 242 group, you know, be friendly. All these different kind of ways that I wanted to make her happy. I wanted to orchestrate this. And as I prayed and thought about it, I finally just said, you know, coming to church may be a sacrifice for you. It it may be that you're lonely in church sometimes. It may be that you dread going to church sometimes. But if you want the kingdom, if you want the treasure, if you want to be where God's called you to be, it's a sacrifice. Guys, we're Christians. We're, 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 we're believers. We're part of this company of saints that have been part of this thing called the church since the day of Pentecost. And so there are things we need to do to live sacrificially. I, I want to say this nicely. You know, not like me, you know, I want to be loving on this. But when did we expect to get all the fruit from spiritual growth and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit without any sacrifice. That's the deception we live in. We want all the benefits of the things of God without any of the sacrifice. We want it both. And the flesh has always wanted that. I want my way and I want everything God has for me. I want my own schedule and I want God to come through when I need him. I want my own self-determination, but I want the Holy Spirit to lead me on everything. And the way of the kingdom is this, is that through sacrifice, there's more power. More power comes through a sacrificial life. And if you begin to reflect on your life, this is not an issue of salvation. This is an issue of sanctification. That we will not get everything God has for us until we're willing to live sacrificially. Willing to lay down our lives on whatever God calls us to do. For our friends, for our community, for our neighbors, for our churches, this isn't. This message, please hear my heart. This message is not about institutional development today, which is a terrible term, isn't it? I don't even like saying that out loud, institutional. In other words, I'm not crafting this message for the advancement of the church at Indian Lake to increase our volunteerism or to, get to, to manipulate you to church attendance or try to get you here. I am calling you through the heart of God and the scripture of God to not live selfishly, To respond to God's grace with a willingness. Can I just frankly tell you what I see a problem with my life and a lot of Christians' lives? It's we're a bunch of whiners. We complain about sacrifice. We complain about the sacrifices we have to make for the kingdom. Sometimes we do it out loud. Sometimes we do it through vague posts on social media that makes everybody think, what's going on? Sometimes we develop bad habits among one another in our culture. Guys, it's a privilege to sacrifice for the Lord. It's a privilege. Listen, I feel like I've lived a life of sacrifice. I feel like Beth has. I know Beth has. And I'm not gonna give you a list of what I feel like I've sacrificed for the Lord to validate this sermon. Because my list, my list 
is my list and your list is your list. The point is this, is that I want to sacrifice willingly to the Lord. It's my honor. It's my pleasure to sacrifice for the Lord. No cost is too high for what he's done for me. I don't want to be a whiner. I don't want to be a complainer. I want to be faithful. I want to be consistent. I want to be everything he's called me to be because I know this is that the gospel is advanced through the sacrifice of his people. Throughout my ministry and even back when I was a teenager, I was in atmospheres where I heard a lot of people complaining that today's church is not like the church of Acts. And I hear them. I understand this. You know, I'm a leader in the church. And so far, uh, my shadow has never crossed someone like Peter's and someone's been healed. So far, in the churches I've pastored, no one's ever fallen dead for deception in an offering like Ananias and Sapphira. That just hasn't happened yet. So I stand guilty that, yeah, we're not the book of Acts church yet. But the problem is some people want part of the book of Acts, but not all the book of Acts. They want the power and the healings and the anointing, but they don't want the sacrifice. Peter was in jail and Peter was going to lose his life for the gospel and the prayers of the saints delivered him, delivered him and it was miraculous and Jesus was glorified. But do you remember, it didn't happen that way for Stephen. Stephen preached the word of God boldly, confrontationally. He preached the word of God uh, with knowledge of the Old Testament and, and he he cut to the hearts of the people. And in our version of Christianity, everything was supposed to turn out great for him, right? I mean, everyone was going to repent and the whole city was going to be saved because of Peter. I mean, excuse me, because of Stephen. But the story didn't turn out that way. Look at Acts 7. I want us to look at this scripture. Acts 7, starting with verse 57. Then they screamed at the top of their voices. This is, they responded to the gospel this way. Covered their ears and rushed against him. And they threw him out of the city and they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them this sin. Saying this, he fell asleep, which meant he died. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. Think about that word. Throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag men and women, put them in prison. Now look at this. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the message of the good news. Here's my last point. Sacrifice is the doorway to power and blessing. It is. I want to be a book of Acts Church too. I want to see the power of God move in ways we've never seen. But are we willing to die for the gospel? Are we willing to sacrifice? Because the power of God is moving in Africa and it's moving in South America, but it's not moving in America. 
show me. Now, I understand there's these carefully orchestrated conferences where like-minded people come and, and things happen. I, and I'm just gonna be honest with you. You know that I could say someone in this section has a headache and call it prophecy. That's not prophecy. I wanna know where, where is it that the hospitals are being emptied out? Where is it that the homeless are coming to the Lord? Where is it that deliverance is coming in the streets? The reason it's not happening is because Christians are no longer living sacrificial lives. We have commercialized the power of God. We have marketed the power of God. And we have blamed culture in the world. We blame professors at distance universities and we blame Hollywood and we blame politicians, but judgment starts in the house of God. And the reason we have a weak church today is because Christians are not living sacrificially. We've been deceived. We've been deceived. And, and I, I, I want to call you to reconsider your life. Reconsider a sacrificial life for the Lord. God's gonna take care of you if you do that. I wanna share one more scripture that's a complicated scripture and I can't even unfold it, but it's such a great promise. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to tell him, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. That's where I wanna be. Lord, I've left everything to follow you. And then Jesus gives a promise that I don't fully understand, but I believe. I assure you, Jesus said, there's no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children are filled because of me and the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children filled with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What does this complicated scripture mean? Is it a formula? By no means is it. We're not gonna get a hundred times is, is a number that we can't conceive. All it means is Jesus is gonna take care of us. And anytime you sacrifice anything for Jesus, he takes account of it. He takes account of it and he is watching over your sacrifice. He's watching over your heart and he will not abandon or forget the things you've done. Would you stand with me? We're coming to a closing and we've already today taken the, taken the Lord's Supper. We've had prayer partners today, and so in these last two or three.